0: This is The Camp with Zach Heilprin and the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Yes, welcome into The Camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. That's the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Badgers getting ready to travel down to West Lafayette to take on Purdue on Friday night. Looking to make it 17 straight wins over the Boilermakers. Jesse, what were you doing in 2003? (laughs) Which was the last time Purdue beat Wisconsin. I had
1: just started my freshman year of college, so... I was about to have a glorious four years, but playing it had basketball, to do with
0: football, playing basketball, killing it, playing basketball, division three uh, style. Yeah, i, I Again, I, I, the 2003 game was not a great game, but it was a. Uh, I mean, I should say it was a really good game, but it wasn't. It didn't go Wisconsin's way. The 2004 game that started this streak was. Uh, an all-timer, an all-timer, and for if you're a Wisconsin fan, really started the downward trend of the Purdue program under Joe Tiller. It was never the same as it was that day. Game day was in West Lafayette. It was the uh, matchup of unbeaten teams, and Wisconsin went this way, and Purdue went this way. The rest of uh the aughts. So that's what people have been dealing with. But that is not the matchup they're going to see on Friday night. It's going to be a one and two Purdue squad versus a two and one uh, Wisconsin squad that has, uh, you know, is two and one, but has not played necessarily great football and has a lot of people questioning a lot of things and has a lot of people wondering why aren't they doing this and why aren't they doing that? And I think I'd like to get into that a little bit, Jesse, because I know you're going to be, you wrote about it for Thursday or excuse me, for Wednesday, that there are so many complaints that people have about what has happened these first three games because everyone was expecting. And I think ourselves included, we're expecting better of Wisconsin to this point than what they've showed again, two and one have not lost a conference game yet. Going to go down to Purdue and have a chance to set this season off on the right note or the conference season off on the right note, but there are people having issues. And so you put this piece together, addressing some of these issues What's, what, what is the one that stands out? Which one's, which one's at the top of the list here for you?
1: Uh, well, the one that is mentioned first is about the offense because that was the biggest talking point in the offseason about the potential of this offense, what it would look like in the air raid, and safe to say through three games, they've not been what anybody thought uh, it was going to be. And, and what I said is so basically the, the article, it, it made a statement. A statement that a lot of people have been saying and then i gave my rating on a 10 point scale of what the panic meter should be um
0: sounds very overreaction to- or
1: no-ish it's essentially that's essentially what it is yeah um you know just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it won't happen but the more these kinds of games stack up the more it makes you wonder what is this offense going to be able to do against better competition they just haven't been able to merge the passing game and the rushing attack in the same game i think they're clearly been encouraging signs as we laid out in the previous show they've outscored opponents 48 to 7 in the third quarter the problem is they've been outscored in the first half of games and you're just not supposed to be in a close game at halftime against Buffalo or Georgia Southern and obviously you see what happens when you get down by multiple scores on the road against Washington State it doesn't matter how great you play in one quarter it's not enough to win so I mean obviously that is one of the concerns and one of the things that I think is high up there on the panic meter.
0: I'm wondering for you, and this is kind of goes off a question that I was asked as part of our Twitter questions. I didn't get to, I'm going to tweak it a little bit because it just straight up says, Wisconsin can't run the spread. And I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, I think they've had some, some issues, but I'm wondering why you think places like Colorado, places like USC, whether it's with Shader Sanders this year, or obviously Kale Williams, is a great quarterback, but they hit the ground running with that new offense and a new system. And it it doesn't seem that there's been any hiccups along the way. Why do you think there's been hiccups for Wisconsin that maybe haven't been seen elsewhere?
1: That's a really good question. Um, Every situation is different. And with USC, you've got a guy who's a number one, he's a number one NFL draft pick and a Heisman trophy guy. Like Tanner Mordecai is, I think done pretty well here through three games, despite not having huge touchdown numbers, he's only thrown two touchdown passes, but you look and he's thrown for about 234 yards passing per game. There've just been a handful of hiccups that have helped get contributed to the offense stalling. But the the USC one is a bit of an outlier because they just went and got, give me the best player at all these positions in college football, you know, Um, give me the best wide receiver in college football from Pittsburgh. I know this was last year. So I, I think that's a little bit different. And Colorado's different too because they brought in what, 60 guys? It's it's I know Wisconsin went after the transfer portal hard, but you're still marrying this system with people who were a part of something entirely different. Like your your offensive line, other than Joe Huber, is the same offensive line from last year. And it's much different. And Maybe it sounds like I'm trying to make excuses, but I'm also just trying to come up with reasons why it may be taking a little bit longer.
0: It wasn't a fair question to include Schroeder Sanders and Caleb Williams in the conversation with what Wisconsin's dealing with. Caleb Williams is going to be the one or number two overall pick in next year's draft. Schroeder Sanders has shown that he has an opportunity to be a high-level draft pick. Tanner Mordecai wants to prove that he can play in the NFL, but These other two guys, I feel like are so I I kind of answered my own question. I mean, they they have a a good quarterback. They don't have a a first round quarterback running the offense, which I think kind of obviously changes some things. And they don't necessarily have a Jordan Addison or insert USC wide receiver here either. So I I, people are probably screaming at their, their screens or screaming at their phones like you're an idiot. Why would you try and bring those two up and compare the two? But it's just because they hit the ground running so easily. And I think that there's a little bit of a difference that saying Wisconsin can't run this or it just may take a little bit longer than than we've seen from these other schools trying to implement it.
1: And I think that's fair. And a lot of the guys who are contributing were recruited under a different style and system. And I think they're still trying to figure it out. And I mean, another panic meter question is, that I've heard, well, Ches Malusi and Braylon Allen should be utilized differently. And I don't know whether that's just, it, it could be touches, but I also, it's very clear at this point, it doesn't help that Braylon isn't fully healthy, but they're trying to give him the ball out in space on these checkdowns and swing routes. And he's averaging two and a half yards a catch. He leads the team in receptions and he's got like 41 yards, receiving yards, or, uh, 41 receiving yards. And that's just, it's not working right now. And so it's, part of this feeling out process and you know I think Luke fickle provided probably one of the best quotes this week when he was talking about the team and essentially what he said was well he said this in a couple of different ways one was he would said he was talking to somebody and mentioned you know Rome wasn't built in three weeks but we kind of wish what happened in Madison was built a little bit quicker than three weeks but the other thing that he said was essentially we're not where we thought we would be and that that doesn't mean we're not going to keep trying, but he said there's a lot of meat on the bone there. Um, I think that's it certainly caught my attention. It's it's not like it's an outlandish t- jaw dropping statement, but it's just yeah. acknowledging what everyone else has seen.
0: So there were a couple of clips that I ended up using uh, on the radio for for my updates that I do during the day. And that was one of them because it, it did kind of stand out. He kind of caught himself there at the end because he was like, you know, I. We thought we would be who we, you know, we'd have an idea of who we are and we know who we are and all this stuff. And then he's like, it's not that we don't agree with the way we're going. It's just, you know, maybe we wish we would have been there. And he didn't say this part, but he wishes that he thinks, as I think we all agree, that they would be further ahead of where they are right now. And there's little meat left on the bonus. And I know he was kind of taking that from what Greg Scruggs told another reporter, and he kind of used it a couple different times. So maybe he had that on the mind, but there is like they have opportunities to show that they have are much better than we've seen so far. And they just haven't been able to uh, capitalize on them. And you, you mentioned Braylon. And I think He's certainly a part of that. If you think about back to the Washington State game, the opportunities that he had, the 13 touches that he got, whether it was seven carries or six catches, those are opportunities that they weren't able to take advantage of. Uh, I need to throw this one in here because it is a a topic on uh, in my timeline. It's a topic in my messages. It's a topic, I think, on some message boards as well. Uh, when are people going to agree that Ches Malusi is the better running back than Braylon Allen?
1: Are you wanting me to agree with that
0: statement? <laughs> I want. I, I'm wondering how you feel about that, and whether he was wasted as a running back, because that that is where the conversation is right now. Uh, in the some of the parts of the fan base, where they're at right now,
1: I've heard the question of is he a better fit for this offense than Braylon Allen? And I think it's really, it's not fair right now because Braylon is hurt. And even Braylon being hurt for the last two games, I know he wasn't all that effective in week two against Washington State, but he had 12 carries and 90 plus yards and two touchdowns and helped to turn the game around last week against Georgia Southern. He certainly earned the carries that he's getting. I mean, yeah, Chez has a skill set that I think aligns well with this air raid offense. I'm actually a little surprised that they that Braylon has what does he have 16 or 15 or 16 receptions? And they've thrown the Ches has two receptions, but they obviously see different ways to get Ches the ball through carries. So I, I think they need both of them and it's just, I don't think it's like, well, one guy is better than the other and should be getting a significantly larger share of the carries. Chez has a few more because he started the last game and, and Braylon's coming back from injury. But I, I, it's hard for me not to get hung up on that part because it's just not a fair comparison right now. And I, Anybody who has watched Braylon in the last couple of games can see that he's battling through something. So when he's fully healthy, you give Braylon more touches. Now, right now, I can understand why you would give Chez a few more, but it's more to protect Braylon and, and help get both those guys through the season.
0: I feel like we've seen Braylon like this these last couple of games more than we've seen him the other way around. Is that unfair?
1: In terms of battling an injury and not being his full self? Not being
0: being the Brailon that we saw for large stretches of his freshman year.
1: Yeah, and I think you mentioned this on the last show. It's it's through no fault of his own. It's just the way that it's gone. Both seasons, his freshman and sophomore seasons, he got banged up and it just wore away at him across the season. And I can even remember something that Paul Chris said to that effect of that he felt it, it wore Braylon down. And I think it was last year referencing Braylon's freshman season, but that's fair. It's just been very challenging and it doesn't matter if you are 245 pounds and you know, are built like a Greek God it's football. And sometimes these things can take a toll in a way that you didn't expect, but, I don't know how long it's going to take for him to get back to that explosive Braylon, but I think we're all waiting to see.
0: As long as he's playing every week, I don't think he can. This isn't like, to me, this is not something that's just going to heal all of us. Like, you know, again, we don't know the exact injury, right? We don't, but based on the way he's running, it this is this doesn't feel like it's a shoulder injury. Like we we knew, you know, there were some issues last year, right? But he also was dealing with some lower body stuff. This this feels lower body to me, making an assumption, and I don't have anything to back that up off because he's, you know, certainly not telling us, but I don't know how the I don't know how you all of a sudden are better and get better playing through a, a lower body injury that you're gonna continue to take hits on. I think he is going to be battling this throughout the entire season um unless he takes an extended unless he takes time off now again we don't know the injury and so i'm putting you in a tough spot and i'm not going to make you answer that question but i think it's very very difficult to get back to 100% or not even get back to 100% get back to being the explosive player and we saw shades of it last week right we saw a little bit here and there but you could still tell he wasn't you know 100% or even 95% i still think he can be productive but he's never going to be the the um, you know the, the uh, I hate to say this. He's not going to be like the top five back in the country if he's playing dinged up the way that he is.
1: Yeah, the challenge too is you want to be able to get enough reps during the practice week to be comfortable, and obviously you're not getting tackled there. But to your point, you're not able to rest. And this week, it's six days of in between games, which is. Highly unusual for for Wisconsin schedule. I went back and looked, and I, I just this doesn't normally happen. They play their Friday game in the season opener. They've done that four or five times.
0: Have they ever played on, it on?
1: Have they ever played on the short rest? I'm not aware of that. Um, I went back several years, but you do the, the silver lining here potentially is that after this game, you do have your bye week, and while it's not a ton of time, I think we've seen. Over the years, that opportunity can significantly help guys who are battling whatever dings it may be. So that has to be the hope is, all right, let's get you through Friday night and we're going to take this week off, take it easy. And then you don't have the game until the following Saturday. So you've got, what, 15 days? Yeah. And that's the best that they can hope for.
0: Right. Again, the, the other thing is that it, I think you still need reps in the offense. Cause it's not something like it's on the back of your hand. Like you, it's not like you've been in this for three years and that you know exactly what's uh, what each week is and that you're so comfortable that you don't need to practice. I don't think they're at that point with this offense. We heard Luke fickle talk about that. We need every single day, Wednesday, Thursday, even Friday practices. They need these reps. They need these things. Cause we're not at that point. Usually we could, he was talking about if you once you've been in a place for three or four years you can start to pull back on some of those Friday practices and and maybe not go as hard and he said that that's not where they're at right now so um we'll see we'll see uh this was not what what were some of the other ones that you're gonna I, we won't go through all of them but what are some of the other questions that stood out to you
1: well the, the big ones defensively are hey the d line hasn't been able to get enough pressure and the secondary is giving up way too many big plays. Now, the D-line thing, I, I Luke Fickle, I think, laid it out pretty well. And I have said before, I will cede to him when it comes to commentary on defensive line play, since he was pretty damn good starting 50 straight games at Ohio State and obviously knows how to coach that position group. And he he pointed out, you look at those five interceptions, and I went back and looked at them, and three of them were directly impacted by defensive linemen making a play. Ben Barton went right up the middle and blew it up to lead to to Hunter Woller's first interception. And James Thompson Jr. has been an an absolute monster here, contributed to two of the others. He tipped one that was a pick. And the other, he had his his hand just like right all over um, Georgia Southern's quarterback. And so Luke was talking about how it's not – sacks are the most overrated stat, but disruptions are something that don't really get noticed. And I think they still have work to do, obviously, on the D-line. But that – at this point, for me, is less of a concern than the big plays that we're seeing on the back end. Because if they're going to have issues in the non-conference play, well, you're putting it on film <laughs> and you're going to be playing better players. And they're going to use some of those concepts, whether it's, you know, the rub routes or the you know, the wheel routes or just w- anything. If they can get manned up, man beaters, they're, they're going to feel like they can do something positive.
0: Yeah man beaters, and uh, they've they've been beaten uh, at times. And again, how many times did they throw the ball the other day? That's or- the
1: other thing. Georgia Southern? Uh, a million. Yeah. And the opponents through three games are averaging 42 passes per game. Now, obviously, the numbers go up when Bryn throws it 50-something, but it's not like the other guys weren't chucking it around. So that's going to contribute to opportunities to give up big plays having said that there have been several and it has to be a concern
0: there have been and i i think that's certainly something that we're going to look at friday night and because hudson card's gonna gonna take some shots down the field i think that that is a guarantee uh, on saturday or on a friday night that we're gonna see much of what we've seen these especially these last two weeks with them taking shots down the field and then we didn't see it a ton during, during buffalo they weren't confident i think that they were going to be able to protect their quarterback. Um, And yet they still made some big plays because they were able to get uh, some guys free on shorter, not shorter routes, but things where you didn't necessarily have to hold the ball for an extended period of time. And uh, I think Hudson card is going to challenge him down the field and he's got the arm to do it. So that'll be, that'll be certainly something to watch on Friday night. The other um, thing to watch on Friday night is which, which Badgers show up in the first half, because I think that continues to be and I know no one we're going to hammer to death. We hammered to death on Sunday, but I wanted to ask you about this um, because this question came in after we recorded in regards to the splits, because they are insane. You've, you've talked about them, right? You've talked about the, especially the scoring. And uh, Scott was wondering, is it a case of the coaching staff coaching to their philosophy in the first half versus adjusting and coaching to their strengths in the second half?
1: It's a good question. I, I don't know the answer. I mean, one other, one other split that I found interesting is the success that they've had on the ground in the second half. And I don't know what that is the result of, but if you just look at total rushing yards and attempts, they're averaging something like 3.3 yards per rushing attempt in the first half In the second half, they're averaging 8.1. And if, even if you take away Ches Lucy's 89 yard touchdown run against Buffalo I believe it's around six point four yards per rushing attempt. So, I I don't know why it is so drastically different in the second half. I I mean, it's not in my mind. It's not the coaching staff straying from its philosophy and and loosening things up in the second half. I think it comes down to execution, and that's another thing that Fickle talked about this week as well. And and it it stemmed from the question that I asked about. Do you feel like you're still learning how to use chess and Braylon? And he didn't necessarily directly respond to what those two guys could be doing differently because he said, we're evaluating everybody. How do we best use Hunter Wohler, our two inside linebackers and do- get them out of their comfort zone a little bit. But he did talk about that when you believe in something, you have to stick with it. And he said, you don't go from, 11 or 12 personnel to 22 personnel and then and then back and I think that's at least an indication that they're sticking with the plan I just don't know what the reason is for why it has been so much more effective in the second half I I think that's something beyond oh they got juiced up or they suddenly got fired up I just I don't think they're not it's not like they're uninspired to start games. I don't believe that. It comes down to execution.
0: It's interesting because Muma talked about it a little bit today when he was asked about the slow starts. And he kind of mentioned that there there is a little bit of a, a mindset at the half because they've been they've been drilled into finishing, finishing, finishing. And maybe it just Kicks in and I wanted to be like, Why don't you give that message before the game and be like, (laughs) hey, how about we finish all four quarters? And I I didn't say that, of course, but it is something that I that I thought about. Like, yeah, okay, I I get that. So all right, if you think that's the reason why. If you if you think just the mindset is different, well, then figure out how to get the mindset different before the game. And I that that to me should not be that hard of a challenge. These guys have played football there, well. I shouldn't say it about movement, but they, they, most of them have played football their entire lives, right? They, they have been playing since they're seven, eight years old, and a lot of them have been playing tackle football that long. So it, they know what ne- needs to happen at the beginning of a game, the type of play and the type of mindset you have to have at the beginning of the game. It should not be something that needs to be said, but if it needs to be said, say it. Just say it and get after it. But as we heard from Jake Chaney after the game, Luke Fickles has not mf'd him yet maybe he'll mf maybe he'll mf him before the game on friday night i don't know because those things I, I would agree i would, i go back to dave aranda and how he was so calm about everything and he would never get into guys he would just he would talk to them calmly and just talk to them and talk to them and understand them and have a conversation and then there was one game i don't remember which game it was but it, i think it was in 20 I want to say it was in 2015. I think it was the Paul Chris first year. It could have been earlier. It's irrelevant what game it was, but they were getting worked, absolutely worked. And after the third, second or third drive, he gathered everybody over by him and just went off. And I remember talking to guys after the game, like it opened up their eyeballs and they were locked in after that moment because they're like, holy crap, this guy never goes off. He went off and it, kind of lit a fire underneath him and it wasn't like they were doing like they just weren't locked in and because it was something he never did when he did it 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 got their attention and i'm not saying that to, that's what luke fickle does i'm just needs to do i'm just saying when you don't do it a lot i think it hits harder when you end up doing it do you remember that or no
1: big no right. you have got a better it. memory than me i can't uh, remember what yeah. i had for dinner two days ago
0: i love i love uh <laughs> I, I'm a big sideline guy. I love watching the sideline, what's happening on the sideline during games, because I think it tells you a lot of like where the team's at mentally and where things in, in, you know, it's where I spent most of my time playing football uh, on the sidelines. So, you know, I, I, I have a good, I, I don't, I don't have a good feel for what is happening down there, cause we're, you know, eight floors or eight stories high, but watching this team, it gives you a, bit, a little bit of an idea of what's happening, and I, there was something that stood out to me, and I pointed it out to you on Saturday, and we watched it play out a little bit more, and that was some of the one of the wide receivers, uh, C.J. Williams, who has who came in here with as the highest rated recruit, even though he was a transfer, but the highest rated recruit to ever play wide receiver for Wisconsin, and he has this big spring, and he's a starter at at wide receiver and then come game one he's not it's bryson green and through these three games to this point cj williams has caught four passes the other technically what you want to call the starting wide receivers uh the other f- the other 4 that they're in this rotation with uh cj williams the top five guys that have played the most Chimray dk has eight will pauling has eleven Skyler Bell has 13 uh, and Bryson Green has six. And I'm not surprised that Will Pauling and Skyler Bell have the most catches. We know how much Phil Longo loves his slot receiver. We famously said that, uh, you know, after his kids and his wife, that's his, you know, that may be his biggest love. But CJ Williams has not been necessarily involved as much as I think a lot of people thought he would be. And it felt like, at least on the sideline, that he was a little upset about it. And he was kind of mingling around the huddle on the sideline while all the other wide receivers were talking. He was walking away and walking back and walking, you know, it, it just didn't look. And again, going all the way back to uh, trying to decipher by language, I'm not going to do that. So I'm not going to say what he was thinking in that moment, but you had an opportunity to chat with him on Tuesday. So you were able to ask him what he was thinking in that moment and what exactly was happening, uh, on the sideline during Wisconsin's game when it was still a close game there in the first half.
1: Well, what he told me is that he was more upset with the situation and the fact that the team wasn't playing well. And again, you can only go by the responses that you get. He's we know he's a competitive fiery guy, but I think it's also clear that there's been some frustrations with the opportunities that have been available. He said all the right things uh, in my conversation with him about working hard and keeping his head down. And I I had a chance to um, talk to CJ's dad this week. And one of the things that he said he has talked to his son about is, Hey, it's important to keep perspective on things like he's only a sophomore and and multiple. And Luke Fickle talked about this. Jim Ray DK talked about this. People maybe forget that he's still a pretty young guy as a college player because his talent is beyond what his age is, but it's going to take some time. Um, And, but what his dad says is, is key perspective because you're still with the twos you're in the two deep at a power five school. And, you know, you need to use that and not use potential perceived slights or anything like that. Um, to play your best football. And and so, but I think it has been tough. I mean, there's no way you can deny that aspect of this. He comes into spring practice and he is one of the stars of the show. Yes. The bulk of the highlight plays came against reserves. Some of whom are no longer with the program because they slid down the depth chart, but you did see those glimpses. And really it was, it was one of those, Oh my God. Like, did you see those couple of plays? Well, that's a difference maker. The likes of which Wisconsin has rarely had. But Bryson Green wasn't healthy, and then Bryson gets healthy, and it is very clear early in camp that Bryson's probably going to be the guy. You just wonder, well, who's going to get pushed out here? And Bryson continued to make plays. His physicality stands out. His experience stands out. Now, it's not like CJ isn't playing at all. He's getting snaps, but not a ton of targets, and I think he would have expected more through three games. So it's definitely been a challenge, and it's a small part of the process. He's still got the talent, but as you know, there's only one football to go around.
0: And that's actually what I, because I was wondering about it as well, and I know you were going to be doing a story on this, but I, you know, asked Tanner Mordecai about it, and I prefaced the question by saying, I know there's only one ball to go around, and I know all these guys want it more, and he's like, yeah, yeah. And I said, but how do they handle it? And he thought he and I asked specifically about CJ, but he, he mentioned all these guys. And he said, if we get the offense going that we the way that we think it can go, the way that we know it can go, all these guys are gonna get more opportunities. But the offense has to get revved up to the point where in in grooving to the point where that can happen. He he thinks when that does happen, they're all gonna be happy because they're all gonna get the ball uh more than certainly they have in these first few games. They just haven't been able to rev the offense up especially in the first half it hasn't been uh good enough in the first half to be on the field as much as they would like to be on the field and so i he he said cj and all his other guys are are handling it well but i again frustration can boil over on a uh in a situation like that on the sideline and again they have you know nine more opportunities here in the regular season and i think cj williams is going to be a big part of it at some point along the way here is they do get things revved up because I still believe that they can, but it, it is going to probably take a little patience and that probably is difficult for, I mean, hell, it's difficult for fans to 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 have patience much less the guys that are in there thinking and believing that they can make a huge, huge impact every single time they have the ball in their hands. And I think we kind of saw it a little bit, you know, CJ had that catch and run against uh, Georgia Southern that was, you know, he broke a tackle, got downfield, got the first down. Like those are the type of things that I think he can do, but do them even more. And I know that people are gonna be like, well, he got opportunities against Washington state and didn't make the most of them. I think those two plays were real. One was a really, really good play by a DB and the other one really, he didn't really have a chance at it because the ball was, was too far. So there are going to be more opportunities for him. And I think he's got an opportunity and I think he's going to take advantage of
1: it. Yeah, I don't disagree. And It's hard when you have four drives that end in three and outs in the first half. You only get so many drives. So how is anybody supposed to do anything when you have four three and outs and and majority of your drives end in punts? But it's a balancing act because Bryson's going to get his and they like Chimray on the other side. And so that's the spot that CJ finds himself in. And he just has to realize that when his time comes, he's got to take advantage of it.
0: So one more before we go here. Bucky Garcia says, the program seems to lack energy. Feels like opposing teams are more motivated to play. Players look like they're bored. Fans are quiet. Student sections half empty. Is this due to the teams we play, state of the program, or do we need to start selling alcohol? alcohol and he's half joking. I would not joke about that last point. That definitely needs to happen. It's going to be happening at the Cole Center this year. It needs to happen at Camp Randall. I think it's just around the corner. That said, throw that one out the window. What do you think?
1: I think it was more of a narrative last year when you had the the team's own players saying it felt like they quit no that that's not an issue it's it's these are conflating a bunch of different things students have never shown up on time maybe when they play ohio state they'll be there but even then it probably is only 80 percent, and you'll you'll need until the end of the first quarter honestly if i was a student and it was an 11 a.m game against georgia southern i would probably rather be knocking a few back on a 60 inch you know staring at a 60 inch tv in my apartment so i i I can't fault them but you you know you can't conflate all these things together the the it's not a lack of energy it's a lack of execution as we've laid out it's it's different schemes and it's just taking longer than everybody would have hoped but they've got the guy in charge that they need to have in charge to turn this thing around
0: and we'll see if they can do it. They go down to Purdue on Friday nights. Uh, we'll talk about that game coming up here on Thursday when we go to Monks and Sun Prairie for Temple and Heilprin. Jesse won't be there. I will be, but we're going to be recording a couple segments leading into that. We'll get Jesse's prediction for the Purdue game and some, uh, some keys to the game as well. Keys to the win and uh, just how big of a game this is for Wisconsin, maybe a measuring stick game for Wisconsin in terms of where they are and where they could be the rest of the year. Jesse, looking forward to that. Uh, we'll talk then. Thanks, Zach. All right, there he is. Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp.